Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is families with mixed faith traditions. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. So this question comes from a listener of ours. Wendy is curious about how you deal with the acceptance of other religions within families. I'm assuming that it's not just marrying somebody of a different religion, but also if someone within your family decided to change religions as well. So I have limited experience with this in that I grew up Catholic and I became Lutheran when I got married. But for the most part, the Catholics and Lutherans are all playing very well with each other. So it's not, it hasn't been <laughs> that big generation. of a Exactly, exactly. Hasn't been that big of a deal. So that's mine. What about you? Well, I have to confess that I have a lot of yeah. traditions in my family. I am the only Lutheran <laughs> okay. in my extended family. And so we basically represent a whole bunch from Russian Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Latter-day Saints, Seventh-day Adventist, Southern Church of Christ. Oh, you're the melting pot of religions. Wiccan. Um, nice. <laughs> we really have a vast variety of denominations and faith traditions mostly all Christian flavors okay. that are represented within my family. A couple of agnostic, maybe a closet atheist or two, but I think mostly agnostic folks. And then within my friend group, oh sure, I would say my friend group is mostly agnostic or atheist, uh-huh. if not Wiccan or self-identified pagan. So that's kind of the world I abide in where... <laughs> I love it. I'm the oddball out being the Lutheran, which I love. I mean, that's my life and non-denominational. My husband's family has non-denominational Christians. Okay. And so I should include them in my list. I was thinking of all my own, Mm -hmm. my own family of origin there. So I'll include my husband in there as well. So yeah. Yeah. As diverse as I can get is probably, well, I guess, and there's Norwegian Lutherans (laughs) and the Swedish Lutherans and the Danish Lutherans. That's about as deep as it gets. I love the diversity of my family uh-huh. and the family tradition. Sometimes it makes it really awkward. Oh, the holidays have got to be interesting. Well, I work them. So <laughs> I, at least you have an you excuse. Know, I, it's not that I'm avoiding my family, but Christmas and Easter, I'm a little bit busy. It's high church time. It's high church. So yeah, I have a lot of experience with this. And it's not an easy conversation. I think that sometimes it can get really difficult. And the, the multiplicity of faith traditions that are available even within family units now is probably pretty impressive. Uh-huh. And so, Wendy, this is a great question. How do we walk alongside of people of various and sundry different faith traditions who are a part of our family, a part of our community, and a part of our group of people that we love. Honestly, this is where my Midwestern training takes over more than anything religious-based. Uh-huh. You're just not going to make waves. (laughs) Very much getting back to the don't ask, don't tell kind of just how are you, how's your day, let's look at that weather kind of thing. Minnesota nice. Very much so. For folks who are unfamiliar with that, it's a uh, coin term to describe folks from the Midwest who just kind of 
stay very nice all the time. Nobody's going to call you out for anything specific. Nobody wants to be that person. Right, right. We're just going to be smooth sailing as much as possible. So for those for who are from kind of the Upper East Coast, New England or New York, it's a very different experience than we have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just gonna say (laughs) I can't wait to hear more well I just that a lot of a lot of folks in the northeast wouldn't be afraid of calling things out sure so it's kind of the opposite of Minnesota nice I bet but with my southeastern roots there's also a little bit of the southeastern be sweet be kind Uh uh-huh anyway we're rambling a smidge off topic, a but that's topic. I think where these things can start to come in, right? Because when we talk about varying religions, we're not just talking about religion, we're talking about cultural traditions. And we're talking about what does it mean to be a part of a denomination or a part of a culture? There are a lot of Lutherans who are cultural Lutherans in the same way that some people might be familiar with the term cultural Jew. Okay. That it's strongly associated less with a specific theology, an idea of who Jesus is and how Jesus saves us, and that the religion is much more associated with practices and experiences. Sure. So, for example, being a Lutheran might mean to you sitting in the back row, having a Ludafisk or Lefse party once a year. Coffee at the coffee hour. Coffee at the coffee hour, right? It might mean those kind of cultural pieces, more so than Paul's writing, that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at working with families on these multiplicities of religious experiences, we're also looking at cross-cultural conversations. Mm -hmm. And how do we step into other traditions and cultures with respect? Mm -hmm. And that can be as simple as recognizing that if you were to go to the funeral service of someone who is a Latter-day Saint, the Mormon tradition, and you are a woman, it would be very respectful for you to wear a long skirt. Okay. Rather than pants. And that's just something to know to be respectful. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with how you believe Jesus saves or doesn't save or how the world works, but it's just part of being culturally sensitive. Well, and they're not singling you out either. Right. And those kinds of pieces that can get really challenging Mm -hmm. for families to figure out how to do and how to do well. And I can speak from the multitude of my experiences that it can be really challenging to try to be respectful. Sure. So those are just some initial thoughts. And it's really hard. It can feel like you're on a balancing beam. And then put into it all of your family Dynamics dynamics themselves. Yeah. And all of the love that you have for family, regardless of whether or not you can stand each other, you love each other one way or another. And so toss that into the mix and it just gets to feel like it's really, really, really high stakes. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that this is becoming more and more of an issue as we just seem to get more diverse and in some ways more niche in this world. I don't know. I think maybe. I think that as our culture... And as the generations begin to shift and change, as the church changes in North America, I think that we will begin to experience more people with various points of view who aren't all kind of homogenous in their faith background. Mm -hmm. And families aren't necessarily all going to share the same faith background. So I think that it is definitely something that's growing. I think it's also something that we're more aware about now. 
Oh, okay. Simply because of the amount of communication that we have with each other, right? In 1950, you didn't have as much communication with another town over to find out that there really were that many other people of different faith traditions around you. Sure. Now, in 2017, you hop online through the device in your pocket, and you're exposed to potentially hundreds of different faith traditions over the course of minutes. Sure. And so I think that that's also part of why this is coming up more and more now. Okay. And is more and more a part of our discussion in North America. Yeah. I think people are just moving more than they used to. Yeah. And I think once you leave your particular area, and I'm specifically thinking of the Midwest as being a not very diverse Mm -hmm. necessarily, but even in my lifetime, the people that are moving into my very tiny hometown in Iowa, I don't even know what kind of faith traditions they're bringing from Africa and other parts of the world, but it's really incredibly diverse for where it is compared to when I grew up. Well, and here's one of the fun things. Where do you think the Lutheran denomination is growing the fastest in the world? Oh, that's right. That's definitely Africa. Totally Africa. And so, you know, it may be that the immigrants coming into our midst are less diverse <laughs> than religiously. religiously than the millennial generation is. That's fascinating. So we just have to kind of step into that conversation and understand that it's a bizarre time. Mm -hmm. And people are talking about it more and people are more comfortable claiming alternatives to what their parents had. Mm -hmm. And so that can bring a lot of consternation in a family. That can be really tough when kids of a parent are choosing faiths and denominations that are completely vastly different. It was incredibly hard on my father. I'll tell you that when I went from being Catholic to being Lutheran. Yeah. What is the ELCA stance on this? They don't necessarily require marriages to be both of the same faith, do they? No, we don't. Okay. And the ELCA, because of our theology, because we believe that it was the action of Jesus Christ that saves us and not our own declarations or our own actions, we have the capacity to not feel exclusionary about our salvation. Uh huh. And so where... For example, Roman Catholics or some non-denominational Christians feel that the only way to receive salvation and to not be condemned to hell is to be a part of their tradition. The Orthodox also share in that idea that you have to understand it in the way in which they do in order to be saved. Uh -huh. That creates a ton of pressure. It does. And a ton of pressure on families because if you want your loved one to be with you in heaven and that's what you believe then you don't want your child to transfer to another denomination or another faith belief. I'm always fascinated when I find out that there are Catholics married to Jews because I keep thinking that just, that can't really work so well. <laughs> and yet it does. It does. It does and it can. So one of the things is that this question, this conversation came from a listener. Yep. And Wendy asked specifically about are there false prophets? Okay, now what does she mean by this? That's a great question. And it comes from someone in her family who is a part of a tradition that is vastly different than the ELCA. Okay. And I would have to have more conversation. And sorry, Wendy, that I haven't reached out to you for more clarification on this before recording. But I think other traditions who have this more exclusive view sure. that we've discussed 
they talk about people who have different beliefs yep. as being false prophets yep. and leading to damnation for other people. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I was standing outside of the Pride Festival grounds at one point in time and blocking some street preachers from people who were going into the Pride Festival, uh-huh. one of the street preachers stood behind me and called me a false prophet, a Jezebel, and an evil temptress leading my people to damnation. Oh, that's fascinating. I am a woman in ministry. Sure. And for him, that is not accepted. Exactly. And he has an exclusionary view of the faith and the way to be saved. And so I would be considered to him a false prophet who leads people astray from the correct gospel. I think Wendy's question, are there false prophets? Mm-hmm. Is a fair one when you see someone in your family who's in a denomination that is completely vastly different than your own. And it's a really hard question to answer. I think that there are false prophets. Mm -hmm. I think that there are people who lead people astray and cause damage to other people in the name of religion. I do believe that. I have to agree. Do I believe that just because one of my family members is a part of a tradition that is vastly different than mine. I don't think I could point the finger quite that way. I can't go there. If I had a loved one who was doing something that I felt was cult behavior, uh-huh. if they were getting locked into a compound, if they were being... Emotionally or physically abused? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of David Koresh just mm-hmm. because that was a situation in Waco, Texas that happened during my youth. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty big deal. And I think that he was a false prophet. I think he led people astray. I think he caused major damage and he led to the deaths of people. Mm -hmm. And so I do believe he's a false prophet. Denominations that are recognized and are, I mean, that's so hard, Uh right? It's really hard to say. And so I would hesitate to label people false prophets. Uh huh. I would also keep a close eye on my loved ones and make sure they weren't getting sucked into something where they were being abused and taken advantage of. Sure. That's fair enough. So, Wendy, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the best I got on you. Well, there's, let's all agree to get along and agree to disagree. And then there's the, I'm going to make sure that my people aren't being harmed. And that if someone is actively doing harm, that it's my responsibility as a person of faith to stand up and speak out. Sure. And so there's that as well. There's that kind of both and, that law and gospel kind of a situation. And it's hard to figure that out. And it really is something you have to figure out on an individual case-by-case basis. But the majority of denominations that our families are going to participate in are not necessarily false prophets. The majority of them are just a different way of thinking and a different way of doing religion than we ourselves may do. And her next question is, are we to just accept others and focus on our own faith tradition? And and I could say in some ways, I think so. Well, that would be the path of the Midwest. And for myself, because of my theology, I can say that. Uh huh. Because I don't believe that our actions create our salvation, I have the freedom to be able to say that. If I was in a tradition where my loved one's salvation depended upon their capacity to understand and to be a part of my tradition, I don't know that I would be able to let them just be and accept that they were in a different tradition. Sure. Because the God that we both 
believe in is one that is accepting and bigger than... Bigger than one denomination. Yeah. Yeah. And that is part of why I am an ELCA Lutheran. Fair enough. And then the final question that Wendy asked is, are Lutherans called to be and make disciples? Because this kind of goes then along this question of discipleship and evangelism. So this is, am I supposed to convert other people? Yeah. Okay. And is it our call to convert people to our tradition in order to help them? I mean, is that part of our call? Yes, and. Okay, because the Midwest (laughs) in me says no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are absolutely called to be disciples, and we are absolutely to be good news singers. We are absolutely called to be people who who live out the good news in our world. And in doing so, there may be people who come and join our tradition because of that experience. And I would actually correct that and say because of the work of the Holy Spirit in helping them have that experience, Mm -hmm. right? But our theology and our understanding of things does not make it necessary for us to go out and actively do presentational evangelism in order to convert people. Okay. We are free to get to witness to the good news. We are free to get to live the good news, but we don't have to convert people in the same way that other denominations feel a pressure to. Okay. There's no quota to fill. There isn't. We are not responsible for the saving of souls. I like that. Right. Jesus kind of took care of that on the cross. And so without being responsible for the saving of souls... We don't have to win people for Christ. Sure. We get to see Christ working in their lives. We get to celebrate that. But that's different. But that's very different. That's the crux of my dissertation. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So when people come to you and say, we want to get married, is this something you ask them or is it just not an issue? I do ask them about this. I ask them about their faith traditions and about their practices. 90% of the weddings that I do are for folks outside of the faith completely. Oh, wow. um, Because most of them are derby related somehow. So we do chat a little bit about faith tradition, mostly just do you have one? Do you talk about it? What's your plan? Do you want to find a church? Do you not want to find a church? How do you talk about it? That kind of a thing. Uh And I would say that most couples that I talk to... It's less of a concern than whether or not they're going to have a joint bank account. Oh, all right. (laughs) Right? Because religion and faith practices in those who are 20 and 30... It's not... It's not huge. Mm -mm. And especially not in the Pacific Northwest. No, well, I think everybody, especially when you grow up in something a little more restrictive, because, you know, most people that I knew who grew up Catholic, you hit college and you were like, woo dad's not making me go to church anymore. <laughs> I'm out. I'm taking a break. All right, right. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. You know, I always try to bring people to that conversation. But again, it's just not the highest worry. They're no. a lot more concerned about how they're going to manage their student debt load. Oh, yes. And Can I make rent? Get, and getting a first home uh-huh. than they are about faith traditions they haven't participated in in a decade. Sure. Fair enough. Okay, last question then. Is there the best example that you can come up with of how this works incredibly well? Of like multiple traditions hanging out and spending time together? Yep. That's a rough question. Um, I have one. 
Oh, so I happen to have a cousin who moved out to Seattle years ago. And she is Catholic, as we were both raised Catholic, but she married a man who's Jewish. And I absolutely adore seeing how their family works every time I see them and anytime I catch the stuff that they do on Facebook. They interweave them together? They really do. They seem to have found that middle ground that I think people, when you're in love, you seem to find the middle ground. That's so awesome. And what matters matters and what doesn't falls by the wayside. That's really awesome. I have to say my mother and my stepfather came from various, very, very different backgrounds. And my mother joined the Roman Catholic Church a couple of years ago with my pop. And I was just home a couple of weeks ago. And watching them practice their faith together is pretty awesome. Nice. It's pretty cool. Nice. And they welcome me. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's pretty good. They didn't set the church police on you, huh? And no. And I, I went to mass with them and the building was still there and everything was fine. And we came back and over lunch, I put my little phone out and we live streamed the service for Central and it was fine. So Wonderful. see, it can happen. It, it can, can happen. happen. Families are remarkable. Indeed. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about families with mixed faith traditions. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening in this week. You can find us on iTunes. We would love if you would leave us a review so that we know that you're out there. And if you, like Wendy, have a question you would like us to talk about, please feel free to email us at podcast at centralportland.org. It would be great to hear from you. Until the next time, thank you for listening. And remember, God loves you no matter what.